It is good to look around and see you in the Lord's house this morning. I want to thank you at the end of a very busy week, hopefully a very blessed week, that you have chosen to be in the Lord's house today. And uh, so thank you for that. I really believe God has a rich blessing in store continually as we open up His Word together. So let's turn in God's Word back again to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 through 23 this morning. As you're turning there, several things. We are rolling out our 2024 budget uh, to our church family. There's some hard copies scattered around in the gathering areas and foyers. You can pick one of those up. There will be an email coming to you with an electronic look at it. Uh, There's a letter right inside the uh, cover sheet uh, from me, and it will explain some important things. Uh, Among those are some Q&A times with the stewardship and personnel teams, and we do want you to overview. We want you to ask your questions, and then on the 17th of December, we pray we can have an affirmative vote so we have a plan financially to go into 2024. So that's one thing. Secondly, let me just thank you for your hard of generosity. You've proven it once again. Last week during the message, I shared a a need of a college, uh, two college students, Matt and Brittany, who had committed to go to Poland for six months, January to June, in order to help a church there start a college ministry. They said yes. They had no idea financially how they were going to get there. And so it's going to take about 4000 for that time frame for each of them. And so the president of our convention, Buddy Champion, challenged us. He said, if we just had eight churches among Alabama Baptists to commit $1,000 for this couple in their journey, then they would not have to worry about their finances. And I said, I know Liberty Baptists will be glad to do that. So I committed Kyle's budget for $1,000, and uh, he is smiling even more because you have been more than gracious and generous. You not only met that need, you went above and beyond, and every dollar that comes in for that young couple to Poland is being forwarded to uh, uh First Baptist trustful and and uh, trust that we're going to send them off in January. So you have a part in something that God is about to do in Poland through a local church ministering to college students. Now, how cool is that? And so uh, continue to pray for Matt and Brittany as they embark upon this. And uh, thank you for being generous. The trees out in the um, gathering area that have name tags for gift items for our people who will be ministered to through the Christmas gift shop. Uh, After the 9.15 hour last week, all the tags were gone. We had to resupply some of them. And then after the 10.45, all the tags were gone. There might be a few leftover tags. Matt says yes. And so we need to continue to help supply the gifts for families that we'll minister to as they come through the Christmas gift shop. It starts this week. And so will you continue to pray for God to move, but for families to hear the good news of the gospel and for them to be able to respond in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we as Shelby Baptists, along with our 66 other partnering churches, do what we do through the Christmas gift shop, and that is to make much of Jesus and make him known as we make Christmas a greater blessing to children who otherwise would not receive what they're going to receive 
because of the cooperation of God's people. So those are wins. Keep those matters in prayer. And uh, now let's look together at Philippians chapter 4. It's been 16 weeks in a preaching teaching series. My favorite kind of approach to Scripture. Uh, Through four chapters and 104 verses, uh, we have been reinforced with some major themes from the heart of the Apostle Paul. We remember he is a house prisoner. He's under house arrest in Rome as he pens a letter and sends it uh, back by Epaphroditus some 800 miles back to Philippi to these believers that are near and dear to his heart. But one thing that we heard about much in this letter of 104 verses is the name of Jesus. Uh, In this letter to Philippians, there's no other noun that appears more than the name of Jesus. Mentioned directly 18 times and indirectly 61 times. And so as we have studied and taken a deep dive in Philippians, uh, we have heard much about Jesus. That's good news. Secondly, we've heard much about the good news of the gospel. That word gospel is used more in Paul's letter to the Philippian per hundred words than any other letter. And so it's about six times in four chapters, Paul talks about this gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's another theme that we heard a lot about. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So rejoicing and joy appeared about 13 times or more in this letter. And so we have come to the end, and we've heard much about Christ. We've heard much much about the gospel. We've had the call to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And now we hear Paul's heart as a pastor pour out to these believers again. Remember, he is writing to thank them for their generous gift to him as a prisoner under house arrest who was totally dependent on generosity of others. And so one attitude is a heart of gratitude. Secondly, Paul is writing uh, to let them know, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back with my letter. And let me just tell you where he's been. He almost gave his life literally to bring your gift to me. He is a great gospel partner, but I'm going to go ahead and send him back so that you know he's okay. But in this letter, Paul is also saying, here are my circumstances, even though he is still confined. And even though he can't go out and preach the good news of the gospel, way back in the letter, about chapter 1, Paul says, I can rejoice because the gospel's being preached. With every guard that is chained to me, he's going to hear about the gospel. With every changing of the guard, the new one's going to hear. Everybody that brings me food, everyone that serves me. And so I can rejoice that the gospel is advancing. In our passage last week, Paul has commended these believers for their generous gift to them, to him. In verse 18, he says, I am well supplied. And, and in fact, as, as their communication went and they had to send either messengers or messengers with letters, Paul is writing them a receipt to let them know, hey, what you sent by the hand of Epaphroditus, I received. And not only did I receive it, boy, it was a well supply. It overflowed me, and, and your payment has been made in full. And so on the heels of commending them there, Paul shares verse 19. Because you have supplied me well, then this I know, my God will supply you well. 
Philippians 4, 19 through 23. If you're able to stand, let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word. I'll read aloud, ask that you follow along. Philippians 4, 19 through 23. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by or through Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then a very traditional greeting of ancient letters. Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, those that are in Philippi. The brethren who are with me, they are in Rome, greet you. All the saints greet you. All the saints, brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome, greet you. But especially those who are of Caesar's household. We'll come back to that. Then he said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, grace to you. And now in the last verse of this letter, he said, the grace, and he added a phrase, of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He bookends this letter with grace that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us have insight to the truth of your word. By your spirit, give application to our heart, to our mind, to our desires. And Father, may we leave being better equipped to be children of God who desire to be those partners in gospel ministry and messengers who are going boldly and guides whose lives show the way to Jesus. So better equip us by your spirit through the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seating. seated. Do you have the, the Thanksgiving fatigue or fog? Either you do or I do or we both do, but hey, I kind of feel it this morning. Do you? Well, they're, they're, I want to tell you a story. It, it's, uh, it's written to be a true story. It's about a student pastor. Kirk, go back into the student ministry. It's about a student pastor and his wife. They were starting out in seminary, very brand new in ministry. Uh, well, it was before they went to seminary, and it was their first church, and, and so it was a very meager salary that they were on, if you could call it a salary. But they had reached a point in between paychecks, because they were living paycheck to paycheck, that they ran out. They had 13 cents in their checking account. And, and they were not only out of money, but they had some supplies they were out of. And one of the main supplies they were concerned about was toilet paper. They were, they were out of toilet paper. And so they put into practice what they read in God's Word. And from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, uh, they decided rather than fret and worry and stress over this, we're just going to commend it to the Lord. We're going to pray about it. When, when they took God at His Word, when He said, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. And so they began praying. Well, you know what students in that youth group did? On that particular night, they decided to just bless their student pastor and roll his yard. Now, they were amateurs because they only used one roll of toilet paper to roll the trees in his yard. Uh, they put the package, uh, the, the rest of the toilet paper, on the stoop of the front door, and somebody knocked on the door. And you know what happens when they knock on the door? Everybody runs because you don't want to get caught. Well, when this precious wife opened the door, she just started rejoicing and praising the Lord because God had heard and answered their prayer. There on their front porch was toilet paper that they had ran out of. Now, you think that's a silly story, but I'm telling you, 
Our God works in mysterious ways, right? And so you have some testimonies maybe that can partner with that kind of testimony. Our God is concerned about everything that's going on in the life of his children. And what Paul would tell us is this God, my God, he is a faithful God. And he's worthy to be trusted. Even when it comes down to that last roll of toilet paper, or it might come down to needing food on the table, or it might come down to needing a job. It might come down to needing peace and contentment in in the midst of a life that is chaotic. It might even come down to parents who are learning to parent by experience, and you go, oh, no, what have I gotten myself into? And you're asking God about wisdom in order to know how to rear these children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It might come down to learning to be content in a relationship in Christ. Christ in the midst of life that is unfair and really, really not easy where there is trial and tribulation. But Paul would say, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Here's the bottom line. Paul is saying that God will provide everything children of God need to live for Christ. So on your notes, we're going to break it down into three big principles as we deal with these last four verses in Philippians. And the first one is God will supply your need. Verse 19, and and we're going to spend most of our time on verse 19 and just unpack it phrase by phrase. The very first word is a conjunction, and, and that means it connects verse 19 with verse 18. And verse 18, that's where Paul has just told these believers that, that I have all that I need. I have more than enough. I abound because of your generous gift to me. He's written them that receipt. Now, based upon him telling them, well done, based upon him telling them, your gift is well-pleasing to the Lord and saying, it has blessed me above and beyond. Paul follows that with, and my God. And we don't need to read that too fast because we need to hear what Paul is saying. He didn't just say, and God will supply your need. He didn't just say the God of Jacob and the God of Isaac and the God of Abraham would supply your need. He didn't just say the God of of this letter that I'm talking about will supply your need. Paul said, and my God, my God, personal, intimate conversation. This God that Saul, the persecutor, met on the road to Damascus, the God that apprehended him and the power of the gospel that radically transformed him. Paul is saying, it's this God, my God, who will supply your every need. Paul is speaking from personal experience. It's as if Paul is saying, when I was being beaten with rods and I didn't know if I could endure, my God met me there, supplied my need there. When I was taking lashes upon my back and I didn't know if I could survive, my God met me there. In the cold nights when I didn't have food to eat, my God met me there. In the shipwrecks that I've been a part of and the boat just came apart and I was floating out in the water, my God met me me there with a thorn in my flesh that I begged God to take away, but he allowed that thorn to remain a messenger of Satan to buffet me so that I could know that my God would meet me there. This God who met my need, even though I am locked up in a house and I'm a prisoner in Rome and I cannot reciprocate by meeting your need, I know this, my God who met my need will supply your need. And that's the promise that Paul is given. That's good, isn't it? Hey, mamas, daddies, 
and grandparents and brothers and sisters in Christ, when God moves in your life as faithful God, you have a message you can pass on to somebody else. Paul is passing on what he knew to be true, and my God will supply future tense, he's not really indicating. The emphasis is not that, that God will one day supply your need. When we get to heaven, everything will be better. He is saying, no, my God will indeed supply your need. You have given sacrificially. You have given generously. And I know without a doubt, because you have sought first the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel mission, and the kingdom of God, that this God, my God, our Father, He is going to supply your need. My God will supply your need, your every need. Now, in this context, it's dealing with material and finance, no doubt. But it's even bigger than that. My God, if you have sacrificed and given generously to me, he's going to meet you where you are. You're not going to go without. Now, what Paul is not saying is that his God supplies every greed, but every need. And he's not even saying every need according to how you define your needs, but every need according to how he in his sovereignty sees our life and what we need because we know the reality that sometimes walking in obedience with the Lord means that we do without some things in order to fuel what God called us to be obedient in. You talk to missionaries who go overseas. They're living here and they have a home. They have cars. They have possessions. They have a lot of clothes and they live just like you and I. But when God called them out to go and they said, yes, Lord, and then the IMB, the International Mission Field, says you have about two crates this big that you can put your possessions in. So they have to get rid of everything else, simplify their life, but they do so with the confidence to know my God shall supply our need according to his riches. Who is this God? He's creator. Who is this God? He's sustainer of his creation. Who is this God? He's the God of the universe. Who is this God? He's the God who owns it all anyway. He's the God whose riches are far greater than the cumulative supply of riches here on earth. His riches abound. Paul says, my God will supply in proportion to his riches. But hang on, it goes further. Two more prepositional phrases. According to his riches in glory. In glory is the sphere, the location of where this God abounds in splendor and in majesty. Glory is just one word that, that talks about the fame of the Lord our God, the one who is great and greatly to be praised and worthy of our worship. And so Paul is saying that my God, according to his riches in glory, through Christ Jesus... And oftentimes, Paul talks about being in Christ Jesus, and he uses the term riches to talk about God's possessions many times, but he uses riches to talk about possessions in Christ Jesus as well. Ephesians chapter 1, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. 
Here, I think the, the context that as we look and see what Paul is saying in the midst of this passage, Paul is talking about God through Jesus Christ supplying our every need. He's already talked about Christ being enough to give us contentment. Contentment is not in a circumstance or a situation or possessions, but contentment's in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the secret of it. And Paul has, has talked about his God supplying our every need, and the glory of God has its fullest manifestation through the person of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you some scripture to back that up, John 1.14. In John 1, 14, the apostle said, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, the apostle Paul said this, that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.19 and 2.9, and then we're going to end with Colossians 1.27. But Paul had a lot to say about the glory of God. He said, for it was with the Father's good pleasure for the fullness, for his fullness, all the fullness to dwell in him, and the him there is Jesus Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And he goes on in Colossians and says that God has decided to make known to the saints the greatness of the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The writer of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says it this way, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Paul is saying as creator and sovereign of the universe, God owns everything. And the God who owns everything is the one that according to his riches, he will supply your every need. That's a good word, isn't it? But here's the context of those that Paul handed that promise to. It's to the believers in Philippi who were gospel partners which meant that they had skin in the game, which meant that they had surrendered their life to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which meant that not only did they surrender their life, but all that they were was by the grace of God. All that they had came through the hand of God. And so these believers learned how to be generous even in the midst of poverty, and they gave sacrificially to the Lord. And Paul's promise to the, to the believers here is not a blank check for you and I. It's not a blank check to claim everything that we want and say, my God owns it all. My God will supply my every need. No, to those who are invested in the gospel mission and who have given generously and sacrificially for the sake of that mission, it is to those believers who have skin in the game that God's promise is given. And so it is not, name it and claim it, it is not a health and wealth gospel context that is an unbiblical concept. Paul is just simply saying, if you sacrificed in order to give to this gospel mission, then this I know, my God who owns everything is going to be faithful to supply your every need as well. How does he know that? He's lived it out. He's been in those moments to where he had little 
and he was even cold and hungry, but God sustained him with sufficient grace and sufficient supply there. And his promise to these dear believers is, well done. Your gift is an offering to the Lord, well-pleasing to him. But know this, because you've given to the Lord and on behalf of the gospel mission and partnership with me, my God, the God that we serve, will supply all your need. God will supply your need. Number two, verse 20. The rightful response from that kind of promise that is to a people who are partnered with the Lord in the gospel mission with God's people is God will glorify himself. Verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Paul went from my God to our Father. You see the connection? Paul says he's not just my God. But as a child of God, he is our Father, and, and, and he receives all the glory. God will glorify himself through his people and in our circumstances every time. Kirk uh, shared a, a verse from Romans 8, 28, and 29 uh, a while ago, and that, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things are not good, but they do work together for good, for God's children, but they work together ultimately, not just for our greatest good, but for God's glory. God will glorify himself. And there's coming a day, history is going somewhere, we're moving forward to that Philippians 2 moment to where every knee will bow and every tongue confess, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Paul is, is saying, hey, the purpose of our God, our creator, our father, the one who is able and sufficient to meet our every need, the, the, the purpose is that he brings glory to himself in your life and through your life. And one of the greatest ways God gets the glory is that when sinners condemn because of their sinfulness and their guilt and sin, who deserve the wrath of God, are rescued by the blood of Jesus through God's gift to us through His Son. When we are rescued in salvation, that is the greatest glory that God can receive when guilty sinners are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, His only Son. God will glorify Himself. Paul has reflected on God's glory throughout this letter. You write down chapter 1, verse 11, Paul was talking about being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are through Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. And then he used this phrase, to the glory and praise of God. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness as a child of God through Christ Jesus brings glory to God. Paul said also in, second, uh, in, in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, what I quoted a while ago, that it's through that name of Jesus, that every knee will bow, every tongue confess. When we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, it is to the glory of God the Father. And then in verse uh, 13 of chapter 2, Paul reminded us, it's God who works in you both to do and to will according to his good pleasure. We could say according to his glory of being glorified in that. And now here in chapter 4, verse 20, now to our God and our Father be glory forever and ever. When we think, as Kirk talked about in the prayer time, of God's riches that have been lavished upon us through Christ, what else is there to do but to give thanks and praise and worship his name? And that's what Paul is reminding us. This God, 
as he moves in the power of the gospel through Christ in our life brings glory to his name. But there's a third point. The third point is God will further his kingdom. We need to be careful not to read through greetings at the end of an ancient letter too quickly because they have some depth to them. And if you're like I am, the temptation is as we're finishing up a book of the Bible and we're reading chapter 4 and we get to those verses 101, 102, 13, 104 of this book of the Bible and he starts saying greetings in the name of and greet this one and greet that one. We just kind of read it quickly and go on. But let me break that down for us. What Paul is doing in this greeting is he's connecting believers in Rome with believers in Philippi some 800 miles away. And he's reminding them, hey, we're not in this alone. There's a gospel movement that's pretty big here, and you're connected to one another. Miles may separate us, but we're together in Christ, and we're together in mission. And you have proven that gospel partnership by praying for, by encouraging, and by giving and sending Epaphroditus to me. And so as Paul is greeting them, he's connecting them. And it's a reminder to you and I that our brothers and sisters in Christ and other local bodies of believers are essential to you and I in our journey of faith. The, The brothers and sisters that we have as Liberty Baptist family are essential to our journey of faith. We need each other. And the other part of the good news is we're not alone. The body of Christ is on the move, alive and well globally, and God will accomplish His purpose for His glory through Christ, through you and I, the people of God. He's going to further His kingdom, break it down, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So He's sending the letter from Rome to Philippi, and He tells them, greet every saint. He doesn't say all the saints. We're splitting hairs here, but it's important, every saint. In other words, each and every one. Paul could probably list many of them by name. Greet each and every one because they're all near and dear to my heart. Greet each and every one, very personal to him. Saint, those who have been saved and set apart to live a life for God's glory in this gospel mission. And then he said, the brethren who are with me greet you as well. He doesn't name them. We don't really know who they are, but Epaphroditus is probably sitting in the room. And as Paul is finishing up this letter with the plan, Epaphroditus, I'm going to roll up this scroll and and I'm going to commission you to go back to Philippi and and you like to give your life when you came the first time. I'm going to pray for your safety, but but I'm going to I'm signing off on the greeting. Maybe Timothy and Epaphroditus said, "Hey, greet them for us too." They're sitting in the room watching him finish up. Greet greet for us too. And so as we read Colossians and Ephesians and Philemon, the other prison epistles, letters he wrote while he was in prison, there might be some others that we can discern might have been in this gathering that Paul is talking about. It could have been Onesimus. Uh, It could have been Philemon himself. It could have been others. But Paul says, the brethren who are with me also greet you, connecting. And then he says, all the saints greet you. All the saints. All the saints where? In Rome. What's in Rome? People of God, local bodies of believers. Some three to four years before Paul wrote the letter to Philippians, he wrote another letter called Romans. 
And he addressed that letter to beloved who were saints in Rome. In other words, you have brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome. You may not know them by name, but you have a a connection in Christ. You have a connection in the mission, and they greet you as well. Because no doubt, during Paul's tenure in Rome under house arrest, he couldn't go out, but he could receive guests. And so, no doubt, some brothers and sisters from those local bodies of believers in Rome came and encouraged him somehow. And so, he's blessing them from Rome. And then here's the unique twist. He said, and also those who are of Caesar's household. A child of God put their life at risk when they said Jesus Christ is Lord because Caesar demanded to be called Lord. The least likely place for the gospel to move into is Caesar's household. But one Roman soldier at a time, chained to an apostle who was an evangelist, heard about Jesus. No doubt some of those soldiers didn't just hear, they believed and they received. And they went back and they shared something that happened inside of them that was almost beyond description with others. There, there were cooks that brought him food. There were slaves that ministered to him. Some estimated that Caesar's household, it, it reached beyond just biological family. It was everybody under his leadership that did any type of ministry or service in his uh, household. There could have been as many as 200,000 individuals. Here's what Paul is connecting. The gospel is moving through Rome. The gospel is moving into Caesar's palace. The gospel is on the move. Hey, church, Paul has reminded us God will further his kingdom as he purposes. Our call is to be faithful, to be gospel partners and on mission, letting others know about Christ. But here's the confidence that we have. Paul may have been in prison under house arrest, and he cannot go out into the public streets and, and proclaim, but he's saying, in spite of my chains and my limitations, the gospel is moving forward even in Caesar's household. That's good news. Doesn't that excite you? Some of you, maybe one of you. Any missionary would tell us the gospel's on the move. In fact, it's probably on the move in greater ways beyond the United States than it is right here. And that's because they're not distracted about the things of this world, the lust of the world that we run after and are distracted by. But look at verse 23, the last one. Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He began his letter with grace, and now he talked about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, qualified that grace, calling these believers to remember not only have you been saved by grace, but you are continuing to be sanctified by grace, set apart and equipped. What God began in you, he continues. What he continues, he will complete. And Paul wanted them to be reminded this is because of the grace of God through Christ Jesus their Lord. As you're able to grow and abound more and more in love through knowledge and all discernment, approving the things that are excellent, that's by the grace of God. 
as Paul's prayer was that they would be filled with the fruits of righteousness. That's only by the grace of God. As Paul's call was for them to walk worthy of the gospel of Christ, that was only by the grace of God. As chapter 2 called and commanded believers, esteem others better than yourself, more significant than yourself, do nothing out of vainglory and selfish ambition, that's only by the grace of God. When Paul called us to take this mind upon us that is also in Christ Jesus and embrace humility, that is by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Paul called us to to exalt Christ with our words and say Jesus is Lord, that is by God's grace. When he commissioned in his personal testimony that he presses on forgetting that which is behind, reaching forward to that which is ahead, pressing on for the prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus, that is only by the grace of God. When he commanded us to rejoice in the Lord always, that's by God's grace in Christ Jesus. When he commanded us to stop Stop worrying and pray about everything and experience peace that passes all understanding. That is by the grace of God. When he commands us to think on these things, right things, that's by the grace of God. When he talks about being content throughout life's circumstances through the person of Jesus Christ, that is by the grace of God. When he commissions us to, to be part of the gospel mission and be partners of the gospel, we do so by the grace of God. When he talks about offering our gift to the Lord as an act of worship that is by the grace of God. And when Paul says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, that is by the grace of God. And so we could just sum up the whole series and say, oh church, we have much to be grateful for that in Christ Jesus, we can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Today, I pray that your hope is in Jesus Christ, because in Christ, all those graces are possible. Let me define biblical hope, lest we be confused. It's not a hope so. It's not like I hope my team's going to pull this out. All right? Were you with me? There's a lot of that going on last night. Some won, some lost. So anyway, here's biblical hope, confident expectation and a guaranteed result that changes how you live. Confident expectation and a guaranteed result that shapes how you live. Paul says, you're on the winning team. Therefore, you can rejoice in the Lord always. And be sure of this, my God, Our Father will supply all your need according to His riches in glory through Christ Jesus when you are partners in the mission. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will give application to the truth of your word. Father, help us to have ears to hear what you're saying to us. All of us face opportunities to be distracted from your promises, to be distracted from your person, to be distracted from the mission. 
And Father, help us to identify anything that's distracting us this morning. And by your Spirit, help us to take a next step of a positive movement forward. To be obedient, even if it calls us to sacrifice, change habits, do things differently. But knowing, Father, where you call, where you guide, you always provide. And that we could step out in faith to serve you. Step out in faith to trust you, to believe your promises that what you started when we were born again, you continue no matter how we feel or what life is doing. We can be confident you're still at work. To take you at your word to know that, Father, you're at work, enabling us to desire and to do your good pleasure. For some of us, Father, that that means that we need to make some adjustments so that we live worthy of the gospel with which we're called. For others, it may mean to resist worrying and pray more fervently, letting our requests be made known to you with thanksgiving in our heart for what you've already done and experiencing peace. For others, it may mean direct our thoughts toward the right things, that we identify in Philippians 4.8. For others, Father, we're distracted with the things of the world and we're pursuing ways to find contentment. And then we're coming up empty, but Father, help us to realize contentment's in Christ alone. It's in a person, not possessions. In a person, not situations. So, Holy Spirit, wherever we need to make life adjustments to get rid of distraction and be on mission, guide our steps. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that does not experience that confident assurance in Jesus of a guaranteed result that changes how they live today, Father, that you will give them the understanding of their need for salvation. Will you grant them desire to be born again and faith to receive? May today be that day, in Jesus' name, amen.